This podcast contains strong language, details of drug use, violence, recounting of traumatic events and themes which listeners may find upsetting. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Recovery Hub podcast. I'm your host Caitlin and today I will be having a chat with Jill Whittingham. Jill is an alcohol and drug counsellor. She has 18 years experience. I first met Jill on a recovery and focus workshop, which is a photography based workshop that I was lucky to be a part of. Jill is a friend and someone I can turn to. She uses her own experience to help those around her and herself to stay sober. And she does a bloody good job in it. Yep. Recovery Hub podcast. Jill, take one. So, Jill. Hi, Caitlin. It's so good to have you here. So, Jill, we know each other. We do. Because we was on the Recovery in Focus. We was on, I went on one of your courses with you, Marcus. Can you tell us a bit about that? I can. So, Recovery in Focus is um, a project where we explore recovery using photography. Yeah. So, we take photographs but we also we look at other people's photographs as well so it's a way to it's a very creative way to explore recovery and and of course before we can talk about what recovery is we need to talk about what addiction is so we explore our stories and uh, our, our stories of addiction as much as we feel comfortable and then we we move on to recovery and what that means to us and what it might look like and so yeah that that's how we first met when um when you came on the on the course that honestly that was like such an amazing opportunity for me right to get to do that I never thought I'd be doing anything like Mm. that especially while I was in rehab do you know what I mean I've still got my stone actually you know we picked the stone what was the stone which stone from Landidno yeah yeah okay why have you kept that it just, it's sentimental, it yeah. means something to me and I remember you were saying about like, you know, people that have done previous courses yeah. and like they've kept like their little sentimental bits yeah. and you know what else I kept as well? Go on. Remember we did that exercise with the postcards yeah. and you said pick one, what recovery looks like to you mm. and I picked a landscape and it was like the light and it's so like warm and like mellow and like it's something so content and relaxing about it. Yeah. And you were like, "Why is that recovery?" You know, I was like, "It just feels right." I actually have that in my flat. Oh, do you? It's it's because it's a postcard. It's blue tacked yeah. on the wall, and everyone's like, "Bit small that." And I'm like, <laughs> "Well, it means something to me." I love that though, Caitlin. That's one of the things that I'm I'm really I don't know. It's it really gives me this kind of warm glow to think that these different activities that we've done together like that really really mean something to people that take part and that's that's such an inspiration for me to in these kinds of groups and I did say that to you I remember there are people that will tell me there's a button exercise I used to do with groups at Open Minds and um, I people will contact me now and say you know five eight ten years ago we did this exercise with you and I've still got these buttons in fact I think Marcus has still got his wow and I just think that's amazing but I think it's because I've always done that I I keep sentimental bits and pieces postcards stones um all sorts of in, you know interesting yeah. little sen- things that matter well, yeah connections to to a time or something that felt like it was significant in my recovery yeah and like even like the connection web mm. we used to yeah. do, yeah, in the beginning with the string of the um, yeah. every group we do, we do the string and yeah. when connections were lost, yeah. and like you know, say if someone didn't show up or for like whatever the circumstances were, like the way the group just comes together, mm-hmm. I think connections are really important, yeah, especially in early recovery. Yeah, the connections thing has been a critical part of my recovery, really key part of my recovery. And that's something that I've always tried to, that I've always tried to explain and demonstrate to people that take part in anything that we run. You know, this this idea of this network that you make of people who who are perhaps in recovery, perhaps in, um, 
perhaps they're even still an addiction but this this network that where we have it's connections it's all about connections and it doesn't matter for me I feel like it doesn't matter how big or small your network is because we're all different like that aren't we yes but it the key thing is that we're not on our own. So even if our recovery network only has one or two people in it, and that that can that can take the form of the most obvious network is Alcoholics Anonymous, yeah. um, Narcotics Anonymous, and all of those fellowships or other recovery groups that people are part of. But sometimes it's not necessarily a recognised recovery group. Sometimes it'll just be it'll simply be other people in recovery in your world yeah it's so important to have somebody in your world that gets it yeah so jill how long have you been in recovery um 18 and a half years wow that's amazing it's like it's, it feels like a grown-up you know yeah. 18 is officially a grown-up well, isn't it yeah. so it's like this is my grown-up recovery now yeah that's amazing mm. so when you were in early recovery like how did you find it like what were your connections like like how did you find like your like circle of support should we say like okay what was that like for you so initially when I left um, I went to a treatment center yeah and so I did four weeks in a rehab and through the rehab they introduced me to Alcoholics Anonymous yeah so when I left treatment I straight away went to AA um, and so met people there I also continued to go back to the rehab. So I did an aftercare group there once a week. And when I could, I went back for, they had an AA meeting at the treatment centre. So I would go back to that as well. Yeah. And my, when I first got into recovery, my children were very small. They were tiny. So actually going out and going to lots of meetings was quite challenging. That was, you know, logistically as a with a young family, that was quite difficult. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. Um, and also, you know, as in a family situation where I'd already created enough mayhem and I'd been out of the family for four whole weeks, which is a big thing when you have little, you know, God, tiny yeah. children. Um, it was... It was something for us to work out how I was going to actually leave the house to go out to go to meetings or um, that kind of stuff. And so for me, in the beginning, I did do around five meetings a week. And a lot of those were daytime things. Um, and, And that really worked for me. I found that to be able to go out I had to get myself ready, you know. I had yeah. to be up and washed and attempt to look clean and tidy and feel like I was a human being again. All things we forget when we're yeah, in the madness. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, I had to get to wherever it was. I went to Chester um, a couple of times a week to go to a meeting. I went back up to Altrincham on a Thursday afternoon, I think it was, for the women's group that we used to have up there. So... That, for me, took a whole day, more or less a whole yeah. day. And it was a really it was a really important part of my early recovery to have that focus for that was that would be three days in the in the week. So that formed the very start of my um, recovery network, if you like. And it grew from there. I mean, my recovery network today, is quite different to how it was 18 years ago. Yeah. So today, AA is still part of my recovery. Doesn't feel like it's the... It's probably not the biggest part of my recovery. Uh, in, biggest part of my recovery network, I should say. But I do still keep very connected with... with I go to an AA meeting, but perhaps I go once a week now. Yeah. Or... or with the challenges we've had over the last couple of years, it's been much less than that, obviously. Yeah. But I um, I have a close family member in recovery, and so she and I talk about this kind of stuff a lot. Oh, that's great. Which is just lovely. Yeah. Um, I have I have I have made lots of friends in recovery that I didn't necessarily know were going to be following the same path as me. The other thing I find now is that people, people, family friends or friends of mine, my social life, people approach me and say, 
could you speak to so-and-so, which is just amazing. I mean, wow. it's just amazing that anybody would... I still find it amazing that anybody would turn to me to listen to what I've got to say about addiction or recovery. I still think that's <laughs> incredible. Um, I bit, have a, a huge imposter syndrome around that, but yeah. you know, still feel like a bit of a fraud. But then I have to remind myself, oh, it's because they've seen this part of my life. Yeah. And, that's, and that's why they're asking. You've had such a positive impact on people, like... Honestly, like, what was it like, you know, for your family, you know, to see such a change in you? I guess you'd have to ask them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard for me to say. Um, it is really hard for me to say yeah. that. Um, and I, it's not something that I really talk about with my family. I'm still very uncomfortable about what, what all that was like yeah um it's not that I'm in denial I'm not but I feel like our lives are very different and stable and positive um now yeah. and I don't feel the need at this point to go back to rake over all that stuff at all really um but you know, we our family life is amazing now. It's amazing. I'm a I'm a sober mom. I'm a sober wife. I'm a sober sister. Um, sober friend. Yeah. But I don't. I would say that to you. But I don't. I don't for one minute think that's how my my family or my friends look at me. I don't think the word sober is the word that they would say no. about <laughs> me. You know, they'd have all sorts of ways to describe me. But to you. You know, when you and I are talking about it, I know that you know what that means. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Like, now, like, we have a choice today now. Yeah. So, like, we can be there for people. Yeah. And people aren't, like, scared of us or what we might do next. It's mm -hmm. like, I totally get that. Yeah. And just having that, like, that reliant back on me, you know, like, people actually rely on me now. Yeah. And, you know, people want to be in my life and they want me in theirs and... It is an amazing feeling. It is amazing. I also have friends now and people in my life who have no idea about that part of my life. Yeah. They have no idea I'm in recovery. And occasionally, if that subject comes up with somebody who doesn't know it, they'll be quite shocked about that. And also, some people are quite disbelieving about it. You know, they'll say, yeah. really? You? No. You? Surely not. <laughs> you have no idea. You don't know how wild I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm not going to tell you all, though. Mm -hmm. So, Jill, do you mind telling me what was the final straw for you? Like, what, what made you realise that you needed to get help? I'd known for a long time that it was all getting out of control. You know, I had yeah. known... I'd probably known for years that it was really incredibly destructive and very, very sad for anybody who was around me and to say nothing of what it was doing to myself. But I knew that, I did, that my drinking was not like other people's and I knew, I suppose, for about a year probably drank just for oblivion just to be out of it not to feel not to think not to have to connect you know it's that word yeah. that we've used before I absolutely didn't want to connect with the world or the people in it and it was just such a horrible vicious circle that the worse I felt about myself the more I thought other people hated me yeah. and that nobody wanted me in their life. And the more I believed that about other people, the worse I felt about myself. Yeah. And and all of this is just feeds that little monkey on my shoulder that says, you know, you're just a useless human being and nobody loves you, nobody wants you, you're just a pain in the arse for everybody. Um, I was carrying some really, some really, really deep-rooted sadness and hurt yeah. that I the only way I could express it was using anger so I I became an appalling human being you know just an appalling woman um so that that all came to a head um 
the summer 19 years ago really the worst the worst of my behavior was that summer yeah and you know I I have some appalling memories of of how that came that how that played out and the people that were involved and it was incredibly public you know it was so I never have any problem with being open and honest about my recovery yeah. because I always think you know what that that latter part of your drinking was so bloody public who are you kidding exactly, to think that people yeah. didn't know I've I've always known that everybody everybody that mattered to me knew yeah so I've always been very open about my recovery. Um, I don't necessarily need to be absolutely open about the details of my behaviour no. or the things that I did or the the people involved because that's their story to tell and not mine. Totally. Um, but my part of the story is, you know, I was just so unhappy, so, so unhappy Um literally took me to a pit that I don't think there was any further to go yeah and so there was there was a series of of things that happened um in that autumn so despite the fact I've just told you that that summer was a a series of appalling (laughs) events I carried on drinking until the autumn Yeah. yeah and then um there was a couple of things that happened and GP became involved, the police had had been involved and it reached a point of absolutely no return for my family and so I went to rehab. I would say I didn't choose to go to rehab, Um, that was a decision that was made for me uh, which was at the time gave me another reason to be so angry with the world yeah. and so angry with these people because who did they think they were? Do they not know who I think I am? Uh, do, <laughs> do you know what? I, just, I even went to treatment slamming around and shouting at everybody <laughs> saying, who are they? Who do they think they are to be doing this to me? You know, I was just so, so angry. But, of course, it was the best thing that could, could possibly have happened to me. Definitely. Yeah. Like, what... You know, like, because for me personally, when I was, like, coming to the end of my drinking, when it was, like, at its worst, like, just the effects it had on my mental health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, can you tell me a bit about, like, what, like, mental and, like, physical effects? So, uh, in terms of my mental health, that that was the worst for me. In terms yeah. of my mental health, I... um I was um, clinically depressed at that time. Yeah. But obviously, as we now know, didn't know at the time, but what I now know is that whatever medication I took for that was completely wiped out by the alcohol that I was consuming. So the anxiety, the depression, the not sleeping, the nightmares, nightmares. not eating properly... um, obsessively exercising they're not exercising at all (laughs) yeah all of these kinds of things the emotional side of it was just oh the paranoia nearly forgot about that because obviously everybody's looking at you the whole time yeah but then (laughs) um, I was always hiding something so I was paranoid, always paranoid. I just thought somebody was going to find me out the whole time. Yeah. They're going to really see me for what I am. And what I was was a mess. That's our biggest fear, isn't it? Being yeah. found out yeah. when really everybody bloody knew except for uh, us. Everybody knew. Everybody yeah. knows what a mess it is. But it's pretending it's not that yeah. mess. Physically, I, I didn't really have that many physical you know didn't have that many physical difficulties with it I um well say that throwing up endlessly I suppose that's one thing I I started to shake I would have shakes in the morning oh, the shakes the worst. Um, I had a period where I had hallucinations the DTs delirium tremors yeah <laughs> lovely spiders massive spiders yeah. up the wall just horrendous um yeah yeah, it's it's hot. It is it's awful, awful to think back. It's in some ways it's good for me to think back and think that's what it's like, and this is where we are now, sitting at a table together talking I about know. this kind of stuff. But actually, it just reminds me how actually awful it was. Mm. So, 
you went to a treatment center yeah you know you got yourself together so getting all them feelings and, and emotions back it must be t- well it is i, I know because i'm going through it right now yeah it's hard yeah and it they're just all over the place like how did you find having emotions once once she came to like came round got sober yeah yeah how did you deal with them feelings and emotions i kind of wish i had some some magic to tell you about this yeah. i don't no <laughs> i think i crashed my way through days and weeks and months and probably two or three years of these kind of mad feelings of there were some really intense feelings of loneliness in there yeah. in early recovery that when I wasn't in an AA setting for example or back at the treatment centre for whatever reason I felt very lonely so that and people were very wary about about me you know friends who I'd done bad stuff around and I'd behaved really badly and been unkind or unreliable or unsafe. People were very wary of me. I was really fortunate that my 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 kids were just they just loved me, you know? Yeah. And that's that's one thing about having those little people in your life like that, they just want you, you know, they want you back, they just wanted mum. So there didn't feel like any judgment from them whatsoever, whereas I was always very wary of judgment from other people because, I say, it had all been so very public. Yes. I came out of rehab and began to get better treatment for depression. Yeah. So I continued to see a counsellor for quite some time. Um, I saw a guy called Jonathan from the Priory who'd been a counsellor while I was, th- you know, at the at the treatment centre, and um, and I continued to see him for some time. I also saw um, a trainee counsellor who was she was doing a student placement. She was a lovely lady, a GP. So I used to go back and see her once a week uh, for her student placement. I was like her student um, while she was doing her trainee sessions. So I went to see her and that was just all that continuity and carrying on what I'd started in rehab by beginning to talk about things that had been so painful for me that I literally didn't have the words to say how I felt about any of that and you know what that's actually making me feel quite tearful even thinking about that really Mm -hmm. so just finding those words see you listen to me now and you've known me like this yeah and I've got words for everything, you know, yeah, you and I, there. we can both chatter, we can talk the hind legs off a donkey, you we and can. I. So to think back to that time when there was this whole part of my life that I couldn't even speak about, I just, I literally didn't have the words to say those things out loud to anybody. And treatments, when I was in rehab, they started that process there by just giving me the space and the safety, I suppose, and the right boundaries. Yeah. To feel like I could speak to somebody else about those things. And what really helped me was thinking I could speak to somebody else about it without upsetting them. Because the people in my life, my family, my close friends, we were all so connected and they were all so worried about me. and you know love me and were impacted by my sadness if you see what I mean so to speak to somebody who was objective about it was just somebody who cared what about what I was talking about but wasn't emotionally connected yeah yeah yeah, totally so that was huge for me but of course starting to look at you I mean you and I've talked about this before when you start to look at emotional experiences and you start digging around in that it brings up tons of stuff oh. 
And we suddenly don't have that anaesthetic to take it away. So there was a whole load of stuff that I had to work my way through in those early years, definitely. So, Jill, have you achieved your goals and aspirations in recovery? Uh, That's a really interesting question. That's really interesting, Caitlin, because I'm not sure that I set out with goals and aspirations. I think the 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 one and only was to stay sober yeah. and to have a better life. You know, that was, and I learned very early on, I loved this when they first told me this, one day at a time. One day, all I needed to do was to not pick up a drink one day at a time and my life would get better. If I never took anything else away from the programme of Alcoholics Anonymous, that one bit, you know, don't take a drink one day at a time and your life will come better is absolutely true. So goals and aspirations. I suppose as I went along in recovery, I began to think that I could do things. I could um, I could train as a counsellor. I could run groups. I yeah. could, you know, I could do all of these things. And and I've absolutely loved all that. So looking back on it, I can see that I've achieved loads in recovery, but they weren't things that I set out yeah. to say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that in recovery. To be honest, the, you know, when I think, when I listen to somebody like you say to me, I've got that postcard. Yeah. I just think, I, you have no idea how much that means to me. That, that's huge. It's when Marcus said to me, I've still got my buttons. And the buttons were a, an activity we did around family. Yeah. And so when people say that kind of stuff to me, I was like, they're like, they're the gifts that we've been given in recovery, yeah. really are. Honestly, though, Jill, you are like, um, you are a massive inspiration to me. Like when I met you the first couple of times and I got to know you, got yeah. to know who you are, a bit about you and stuff. Yeah. And honestly, like just knowing a strong woman like you and you're in recovery, like it it does give me like hope and the motivation to be the person I want to be, you know, going down the same path, hopefully the same direction. Like I want to help people. Like I love listening and talking to people and hearing people's Mm -hmm. experiences and stories and putting people at ease. And I feel like that's what you do for people as well. You really have got a way about you that you put people at ease. Oh, thank you. See, my initial reaction when you're saying that stuff is to bat that off and like, (laughs) you know, deflect there and say, no, that's not me. And that's surely not. But I... I just I just sit in here trying to listen to that and think actually perhaps that's perhaps some of that's true. Yeah. Do you remember we did that um we did an exercise about confidence one day in the groups and we compliments we were oh, talking yeah. about self-esteem <laughs> and compliments weren't we and we were trying to pay compliments and say positive things to each other without actually saying you know oh you look lovely today oh well I've just chucked this whole thing on or you know we were trying not to not to bat them back and I I really try and just take that on board because I think it's so easy to just say oh oh, really oh I don't think so I don't think so get you back up or yeah or immediately like just yeah hit hit it down like well actually now like I'm the opposite of that I'm there it's hard for me to see myself. I just don't see myself like that. You know, I don't see myself as somebody who provides inspiration for somebody else. I don't see myself like yeah. that. But then if I turn that round and think about when I was in early recovery, I think of those people that inspired me straight away. I was very drawn. There was one There was one woman in particular who, um, who I just thought right at the very beginning... I want a recovery like you, you yeah. know. It's it's quite funny because thinking about you and I, she was quite arsy as well. Like you and I, yeah. she got, you know, she was quite strong. <laughs> bit of attitude. Bit of attitude, opinionated, and she's still a friend today, although we don't see each other very often at all, but we're always there for each yeah. other. And 
so those kinds of people stood out for me in my in my rec- and still do of course you yeah. know still do so I I get it I get it in terms of seeing it in other people it's just a bit it's just very weird when somebody says it to you but yeah. then people will say it to you oh no well you see what see, I mean I'm doing it see now. what I mean oh god yeah but they will in time somebody will say that to you do you know what though speaking to like you I believe that I believe what you're saying because if you've done it why can't I? Ex- absolutely. Do you know that's exactly what I thought at the yeah. beginning? I that it, that's the arsy bit, isn't it? That's yeah. the, the kind of. <laughs> do you know what? If she can do it, why can't I? And that was the bit that really turned me around in in rehab. The first week, I think, I don't think I lifted my head up very much, and I was, I was so like ashamed and so felt so racked with guilt and yeah. riddled with the guilt ooh, and shame, staring at my shoes the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> didn't really look at anybody but when I when I started to look around the groups and the rooms and the people that were involved and there was a bit of me that thought well if they can do it why can't I whereas I had been completely hopeless before then I thought it was just my lot that was going to be my life forever yeah this is me and then suddenly suddenly turn that thought and, and that arsiness that kind of well, if they can do it, why can't I? Actually spurred me on, really spurred me on. And that's the bit that took me into counselling as well. It's not because of some deep-seated belief that this warm, gentle, empathic part of me could connect with other human beings. It's because I came out of treatment and thought, how the hell did that happen? How did those people who didn't know me manage to turn that around in four weeks to get to know me to be able to help me when they they didn't know me they didn't know who I was they didn't know my life and I just thought I need to know how that works yeah that's what spurred me on to do my first counseling course not because I particularly wanted to be a counsellor same how the bloody hell did that work is what I wanted to know I was the exact same Jill honestly the proof the proof in other people seeing all of them yeah um like they've people in the treatment center who've been where i've been where you've been yeah and like they've turned themselves around and like they're helping how could they help this hopeless case i need to know how that works yeah yeah and i'm starting a counseling course oh are you it's on the 7th of march that's such a foundation news. course in counselling. Yeah. Oh, fantastic! I forgot to tell you that because I did mention I was going yeah, to do yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Again, though, you've done it. Yeah. Why can't I? Absolutely. They've done it in the treatment centre. Like they, all of them, mm-hmm. inspire me. Yeah. I can have that too. Why can't I? Yeah. Why not? Give it a yeah. go. What have I got to lose? So you've inspired that as well. You know, Jill, okay. honestly. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm so happy to hear that. That's just Thank brilliant. You. Wow. So, yeah. Changing lives. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> One day at a time. That's it. Yeah. Definitely. So, do you know, in your recovery, did you plateau or hit any flat stages? And if you did, how did you work through them? You know, like, did you... You know when it's, like, fed up? When you're like, is this it? Um, One of the counsellors in the treatment centre told me that in early recovery... I'll wake up one day and I'll feel like, oh, is this it? Do you know? And just like feel fed up. And it's because I'm not doing, I don't know, enough for me recovery and I'm stagnant. I suppose what I'm asking you is, have you ever hit any like stagnant point in, in recovery, whether it's early or just any point in your recovery? And if you have, how, how did you, how did you get past that, Jill? I think that's, for me, that feels like quite a natural part, a normal part of life. Yeah. You know, I don't think that that's exclusive to recovery. I think there's been points in my whole, all my life where I've thought, is this it then? Is this all it is? You know, I, in my work and maybe even with your family, yeah. your partner, you know, this is, this is how life is. I don't feel like that's been a recovery thing. The complication is, or the danger is that, when I've reached those low points or for me the the danger is not necessarily the low points but the bored points. Yeah, well that was always my trigger, yeah. um, boredom. 
Boredom is the worst one for me. And then I just start getting twitchy. And then, then that arsy side of me comes out again, you know. Yeah. I think the danger is that those are the points where a drink might seem like it's a good idea. Yeah. Um, so for me, that again, it's that, that thing about constantly keeping connected. Yeah. So my network in my world, not just my recovery network, there are people in recovery all the way through it. And, and getting involved with things like this, you know, sitting down talking to you, sitting downstairs talking to Marcus for yeah. an hour here or there. These are all, recovery may or may not come up. But there's a big part of me that knows the connection that we have. Yeah, it's yeah. having that yeah. human connection, yeah. isn't it? Like that, but love and belonging, I suppose. So sometimes it's, for me, it's about giving myself a kick up the arse and in the same way that I would any time that I'm bored. Yeah. You know, I need to do something. It's like when you're talking to a child and I'm bored and bored and bored. My life's rubbish because I'm bored. Well, actually, do something then. Yeah, it sounds like me. <laughs> Yes. Why do I feel like this? Why do I feel depressed? Because you're sitting on your ass and you've had a family bag of popcorn. Yeah. That's why. Go outside and get some fresh air. Yeah, do something. Yeah. So doing stuff, sometimes it's because I maybe haven't been to an AA meeting for a while. Yeah. So I recently I've given myself a bit of a push to to get back to AA because it's been quite easy to to move away from yeah. that with I I didn't enjoy zoom meetings at all I just couldn't really connect with it and so it's you know AA has taken a back seat in terms of the number of meetings that I've attended over the last two yeah. years crikey it's been you know hardly any really compared to what I'd attended before so now I have tried to go back to my local meeting and just just to be there that just to be there for that hour and a half just is another reminder of this is part of your this is part of my toolkit yeah I like Um, that your toolkit yeah yeah yeah. it's I use it use it in an AA sense I use it in work as well talk about toolkits you know people's toolkits for depression anxiety just life really yeah, you know that's what a really cool way of looking at it i like that and aa is in there in mine i you know i describe it like the you know those toolkits you buy from uh, b&q diy yeah. stores and they've got all these compartments in them haven't they and some of them are big compartments and some are small yeah and in there i've got all these different different things in my compartment so AA goes in one my friends is in one maybe going to the pictures um yoga cool bonkers stuff like chanting and drumming and all of these things (laughs) you know they're all in there they're all in there and sometimes I just need to have a little look and see what I need to delve into a bit more I really like that Mm -hmm. the way you describe that Jill I'm gonna use that are you yeah I'm (laughs) gonna think what's in my toolkit yeah I need to have a thing. Because yeah. there's a fine line for me between, like, having a toolkit, as you put it, or, like, fixing myself with things. Yeah, yeah. So it could be, like, oh, having, like, self-care, relaxing bath, but then that can go to, I need to buy all the bath bombs. Like, and they have to be the bath bombs from Lush and make a big deal out of it. Yeah. And it's like, well, no, it's just self-care and I just have to take everything, you know. A bit extreme. Yeah. If you make you remind me of that it's like the um the packet of biscuits, isn't it? Or the the box of chocolates or the big bag of Maltesers, you know, we're no good at having one or two, no. it's gotta be the lot. And then can feel rubbish afterwards. But then at the end of the day, it's not the worst thing you could be doing. Exactly. If you're doing that every day, if I, you know, if I'm tucking into six bags of Maltesers every single day, clearly that's not a good thing for me. <laughs> but you know, doing this sort of thing occasionally is not the worst thing in the world. The worst thing in the world would be for me to pick a drink up. Same for me. It's got that we're aware of that. When yeah. You know that, that. Yeah. Yeah. Just like as well when you do feel stagnant in in your recovery. Mm-hmm. It's good to be aware of it because then 
you can do sort of barley. It's interesting you bring that up, really. I'm I'm not sure that... I'm trying to think now whether I have a, ever felt that kind of, you know, being stagnant in recovery or whether mine has been fairly steadily paced all the way through. I can feel stagnant in other areas of my life. But I don't know that I have in recovery. I'll have to think about that. I will yeah. have to think about that. Good. Come back to me when you know. I will, yeah. <laughs> let you know. Boss. So you know when you are talking before about, like, you know, like, imposter syndrome. Yeah. Briefly and, like... Everyone, we all have an inner critic, like that, the inner saboteur. Like, what are some of, like, your, like, coping mechanisms or, like, strategies for that for that voice in your head that tells you that you, you're not good enough? And does it get easier, like, the further along in recovery you are? I have no doubt that, for me, that inner critic still exists but yes this is if i could be reassuring for me it's got tons better oh that's good loads loads better but then the the voice in your head that says you're you're not interesting enough you're not clever enough you're not slim enough yeah you're not pretty enough you're not young enough you know you're not this 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 and this and some of those are lifelong messages that is really hard to to will we ever get rid of some of those things you know if you've had those messages when you're when you're little they're so deeply ingrained what I have to do today is not listen to them and try not to pick up new ones as I go along yeah no I'm 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 less sensitive about what other people think about me today but then it is still really important what other people think about me. Yeah. It is, of course it is, because if you sat here and if I thought you thought I was a complete jerk, then that would upset me. You know, if I yeah. thought that you thought I was aggressive or that I was just rude or boring or something, or whatever. Yeah. I, I wouldn't, obviously I wouldn't like that. So it is important to me what people think of me. But I have to try and not be... I have to try and not read your mind about what you think about me. Yeah, I can be a mind reader. Or go home thinking, oh, what did she think? Did yeah. she really think that or was she just saying that? Just pick it apart <laughs> until you <laughs> just lose the plot. Accept it, you know. It's Acceptance, like, yeah, definitely. Accepting that compliment that you gave me and just saying, that's, do you know what, that, if she really thinks that, that is so lovely. That's yeah. so lovely. I can assure you, no deal. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what as well? Acceptance is a big part of well, it has been yeah. for my recovery. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. even accepting like life on life's terms, you know, just like accepting that it's raining, that yeah, I did spend an hour doing here and it has got wet. Like little things like yeah, that yeah. was the were the end of the world for me. But now I can like laugh at myself and I have a lot more acceptance around things. Like I can't change my family. Yeah. I was a one Just accept it and if I'm a different person because I'm sober and I hold myself, carry myself a different way now, the people that want to be around me will automatically, yeah. they'll have to change because I've changed. Yeah. It's yeah. just human nature, isn't it? It's just natural that yeah. if, if I'm changed, people aren't going to be, with the, I don't know, like with the have the backs up and be as like nervous around me because of how volatile I was in addiction it'll be a positive change hopefully i'm hoping well i i hope it has been but i think the more we change the more people around us change how they behave around us yeah or towards us and that that's lovely you know people aren't people aren't expecting you to kick off or just yeah. to be a princess yeah. <laughs> or a spoilt brat. <laughs> yes, <laughs> not expecting that. So I think other people change the way they are around us and then that kind of is like a rolling thing, isn't yeah. it? You know, everybody is behaving slightly better. It's not perfect. Recovery doesn't make your life perfect, no. does it? 
but Christ, how much how much better is this than it was? So much better. Yeah. I can actually yeah. remember mm. what I did yeah. yesterday and today. I yeah. don't wake up with that feeling of impending doom. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about what you said about um, what people think of you and one of the things, because they love to go on about this in rehabs, don't they, about your ego. Yeah. About you. <laughs> and... When I went into treatment, it was pointed out to me in no uncertain terms that my ego was massive, you know, absolutely yeah. <laughs> massive. That kind of don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I've done? Don't you yeah. know how much money I've raised for charity or the places I've been or the plans that I've got and these amazing <laughs> things that I can do? Oh, God, me, 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 me. <laughs> so I, and that was pointed out in black and white, to me, in front of a group full of other people, horrendously, it's crucifyingly embarrassing. And it's just awful, isn't it? Yeah. And I remember, I remember just thinking, it made me feel like, you know when you're little and somebody that matters to you calls you a show-off? Yeah. Stop showing off. That's it. That that's what the ego is it's like you need to see me you need yeah. you need to hear me and there was just something in that that reminded me of that little kid that was told off for showing off and you had that sick feeling in your stomach oh, it's like yeah. am i am oh I, god is that how people <laughs> see me found out, like. so now i that leaves me with a bit of a weird dilemma to balance really yeah because with the kind of, like with this kind of stuff the work that we do you want to you want to promote it and for other people to know about what you're doing you know, it's like with the groups and stuff I talk to you about what I've done and how how my recovery works yeah but I have to find a balance there between sounding off about how amazing I am. You know, that, that's not what I'm <laughs> wanting to say. Look at me. You can all do it like me. That's not the point at all. No. Yet to find that balance is quite hard. And social media doesn't help with that either. Oh, no. Yeah. So these great it. things that you can that we can do with, with stuff like this, the podcasts, the films, the groups, the projects, the photography group, yeah. I want to promote all that but I don't want to be standing up there saying, wow, look at me, yeah. how amazing I am. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've done all this and you too can have a recovery like mine. It's like, yeah, <laughs> no, 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 no. But now I just think the groups are amazing. The work that like I've done with you personally, but like the work that you do, like it does help a lot of people. And I'm excited for like future things that we may be doing the power the power of the group is amazing oh, i gotcha. think you know and and, it, and when we first did the first recovering focus session that you were with us with for i don't know if you can remember but on that first day the number of people that will sit there and they'll fold their arms and they'll <laughs> lean back in their chair and they'll say no no i don't do groups i don't like groups you think no well not many of us do. Exactly. <laughs> we don't beginning. like change and we hate people. When I have the idea of standing <laughs> up or speaking in front of other people God, in yeah. a group, you know, most of us are so self-conscious and don't want to do that. But actually, once you, once you just take that step, the power of a group, and, and in this setting, a group of people in recovery who can share, share their connections, share their experiences... I mean, that's what AA is all about, isn't it? Whether yeah. that's your thing or not, the fellowship, that's what that's about. And that's what we replicate in the groups that we run, that you you have that open forum where people can talk yeah. and feel safe. That's that's a big part well, that of it, is isn't it? it? It is a safe yeah. space to express mm. yourself. And yeah. It's that belonging to something, isn't it? Yes. Do you know, I remember you saying that about feeling like you belong to something. Yeah. You're in the right place. Yeah. Yeah, no, I... I did feel like that and I do mm. feel like that the more the more sober like the more time I am yeah being me sober and like just I suppose growing up as well like I'm doing a lot of growing 
Mm-hmm. Like the more I feel like I'm belonging to the world. <laughs> we had some fun, didn't we? We, we had, had loads of fun. On. That's another thing that stands out for me in those groups that we there's so much laughter. Yeah. And people make friendships and it's the fun side of it, which perhaps when we first come to recovery we lost sight of that completely. So to be able to laugh and, and joke about and just do some fun stuff. You know, yeah. we went to the seaside twice, didn't we? We went to the seaside Brilliant. for the day, off to, off to Liverpool for the day. Yeah. We did some good stuff, didn't we? We did. And, you know, everyone was open. And, yeah. like, everyone was going through their own yeah. stuff. Not even, yeah. not just in the group, but, like, outside the group. Yeah. And, you know, being there... People were there for me. I've been there for people. Yeah. Everyone just supporting each other. And it was pretty special. Like, it was. What I liked about that group was the way that everybody taking part, we, we'd come together once a week, but everybody's living their own life yeah. outside of that, that day a week. And that it wasn't anywhere near perfect. No. And so we had people coming back who were struggling yeah. either with depression or anxiety or even relapsing during yeah. during the group, you know, during the um, the course. And together we had to talk about that. Oh, yeah. And we, we kind of worked our way through it. And it's a, really, it's a really good way of seeing that life just isn't perfect. No. And that we can we can support each other. And I know at the end of that group that not everybody made it to the end. No. You know, not everybody attended all the ten sessions. But sadly that's that's very representative of recovery itself, isn't it? it not is. everybody makes it. You know, you and I sitting here that is a, a very, very special thing. Oh, because totally. for every two of us that are sitting here, I don't even want to think about how many women are actually out there today. Yeah. You know, still suffering. Still suffering. In, in still at it. Yeah. thick of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is it is so nice being here. Mm. It's great to see you here too. It's great to see you. Yeah. I haven't seen you for a long time. I know. Do you know what? It feels like I... Well, we haven't seen each other in ages, but mm-hmm. then it also feels like... It doesn't feel like... Yeah. I feel like I was with you yesterday, if yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. So, Jill, you're a counsellor, as you mentioned before. Yeah. What I want to get into myself. Yeah. Mainly to find, like, because I know, like, in order to help someone else, you've got to help yourself. Yeah. So to get a better understanding of myself, really, that's why I'm, I picked this particular course that right. I'm going to be doing. But how has being a counsellor helped you in your recovery? Because I know, like, obviously what you do is you help other people, but how's that helped you? I think I said that initially I wasn't intending to be a counsellor. I went on the course to find out what it was all about. So the course itself, it was three years altogether. After I did the initial, I can't remember my first bit was six or eight weeks, kind of introduction to counselling. And then you could go on and on and on. And each step I thought, oh, I could do that. Oh, I need to do a bit more. Oh, I'm going to do a bit more. And then by the end had completed the diploma. So over those three years, there's so much um, like self-awareness and like you say, you have to understand yourself as much as you can to be able to look at other, to help working with other people. What I found was that having worked in AA, having done some AA um, step work, had already started that process. So yeah. in in counselling, in the counselling groups where, with, with when I was on training, where there were people who had come fresh to it, it felt like those of us, because there were a couple of other people in recovery on my course, and it felt like those of us in recovery had actually already done quite a lot of the self-awareness work because we'd done it through step work. Yeah. So that wasn't new to me. <laughs> but the counselling course gave me the, the opportunity to develop that and um, to to look at different um, methods and studies, I suppose, that perhaps I look, hadn't looked at through AA or in treatment. So definitely 
the the course helped me develop a better sense of self-awareness and and what I wanted out of the world I suppose yeah the counseling itself is not about me yeah it's it's safe to say it's almost always not about me so I will very rarely disclose any personal experience in a counselling in an actual counselling setting I'm not talking about in rehab yeah that kind of work or in groups like the groups I did with you but in a one-to-one counselling it's very rare for me to disclose anything about myself because it's not appropriate it's yeah. not relevant the client doesn't want to know it they're they're there to explore their own their own story the kinds of things I would disclose might be that I'm in recovery or it might be relevant to tell a client that I go to AA or that I went to rehab, but it's not a given that I would disclose yeah. that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I now how it helps me is that I am, I guess it's like being a grown-up useful member of society. <laughs> so I, you know, <laughs> I can I can do... So this is another thing about your self-esteem, isn't it? How difficult it is for me to say out loud, I can do a good job. Yeah. But that's what I'm getting at, isn't it? That I can, yeah. I can do a good job. And I know I can do a good job because people come back. Clients will yeah. come back and, pe- and they will tell me this has been useful. This has been helpful. So I know I can do a good job. Um, I'm a supervisor of other counsellors as well. And, and so we, that's something that we would discuss in supervision about you know what's helpful about this for you so i yeah. i i have lots of evidence to provide to, lots of evidence to to show me that i can do a good job that just feeling like a decent human being and that i fit that i have a place in the world those are the things that affect my recovery that that make me feel that this is all worth it that this Massively, is though yeah that this is worth it yeah just feeling like a decent human being like you were saying yeah that's it and like helping others like i think it's like one of the greatest things you can do for for yourself really it's it makes you feel so good you know when just when you're so selfless helping others like i heard this when i was in treatment and i was thinking bloody help someone else what about me? But actually, <laughs> yeah. no, you know what? Helping other people, it feels good when it's genuine. Yeah. There's something slightly uncomfortable for me about thinking, doing all of things, these things to help other people. Yeah. You know, there's something a bit ugh, cringy about all yeah. of that. Um, but, uh, you know, when... When I look at it like like this, yeah. there's no doubt that those things help other people. I know that, and I can see a process for people, and I am part of that process that helps them get from one part to another part of their lives. Yeah. So I I can see that. Um, it's still quite... Maybe it's that imposter syndrome again. I it's that it I'm a fraud be. thing, you know, thinking, <laughs> is that really me? Did I really help Did that? Did I just do that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, it is... It's just a great feeling. It's such a great feeling. I, you know, I'll say again that postcard. That's such a, <laughs> a you know, in in the cold light of day, that's a really simple thing to do. We know yeah. it wasn't. We know it was part of quite a complex exercise that you did. But yeah. the fact that that has is still part of of your world and that you've got it up in your 100%, house. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's in my living room. So when I see it <laughs> yeah. every morning, I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah. When I'm having my coffee. <laughs> and yeah. do you still take photographs you know like we did on the course do you, do you know what do? I haven't really but it's something I would yeah, love yeah. to do yeah. yeah I would love to do again definitely good and get into drawing and painting again doing something creative well, I think is it. a really good way to be able to express yourself you know and I'm not I, I don't consider myself to be creative or artistic at all but using using photography is one way that I found to be able to to just see things in a different way and to open my eyes and open my mind really it's amazing I mean some people paint or draw or 
make pots or something. Yeah. And it is really, it is therapeutic. Yeah. And good. Yeah. It's good for the soul. Yeah, absolutely. And it was another yeah. way, like in our group, it was another way for people to connect, wasn't well, it? Well, it was, yeah, yeah. definitely. Mm. So what have you done for your recovery today? Today, I've come to see you. Nice. For my recovery today, I suppose the first thing is I haven't had a drink today. Yeah. I have no intention of having a drink today. I can't think of anything worse today <laughs> to turn my life upside down and why would I want to do that? I've come here. I've had a, a good chat with Marcus. Um, yeah. Keeping in touch with people. That's it. Yeah. Back to the connections yeah, again. absolutely, yeah. It's all linked, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Cool. Cool. Boss. Boss, yes, Jill. <laughs> Haven't forgotten that. Proper scouser, you yeah, no, you yeah. remember? <laughs> it's you, you've turned me into a scouse. Love it. I have everyone saying boss. <laughs> that was a boss interview. Boss, that one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, Jill, is like 12-step recovery, like the programme, Alcoholics Anonymous, is that something that you'd ever given a go in the past? Or did you just get it first time you did it? I was introduced to the 12 steps uh, through treatment because I went to a 12-step treatment centre and I think we did the first three steps in treatment. I had never, obviously I was aware of it from, I don't know, media, films, newspaper articles and stuff, but I didn't know anything about it at all. I didn't know anybody that had been to AA. And, And then I carried on... I carried on 12-step work stuff through AA when I left treatment. I had reached my what became my final rock bottom before I went to treatment. That those few de- that day before, a few days before going to treatment. Yeah. And I haven't picked up a drink since the day I went into treatment. And and AA and 12-step program has been part of that ever since I'm not somebody who lives and breathes 12 steps I I I absolutely believe in it I encourage anybody um, who's looking at recovery to go to Alcoholics Anonymous I just think it's there's a there's a power there there's a an instant connection with other people. Yeah. There's a well-worn path for people who who find and stay in recovery in Alcoholics Anonymous. So I always I always encourage people to go there. I don't necessarily see it as the only way to get and stay clean and sober. Yeah. But for me it's it's for me personally it's been a massive part of my recovery ebbing and flowing with the program I would say in the beginning I think in the beginning you're quite intense with it aren't you you know because you're told this is how you need to be and this is how it should be now um I realized the other day this is a bit of a confession but I realized (laughs) the other day I don't have a big book at the moment oh now I I gave it to somebody on the last course that we did um because that's always how I've use the big book I have a copy and then when somebody I'm around somebody who might benefit from it I'll give it away and then buy another one yeah. and I realized when I needed it for something I didn't I don't actually have one oh. so I thought oh that's that's a surprise so that showed me I hadn't looked at it for some time yeah I spoke to somebody last week who said to me she was very worried about I don't work the program I just I don't really work the program and I tried to say to her are you staying sober one day at a time? Are you trying to live your life in a in a decent, kind way one day at a time? Yes and yes. And that, to me, is working the programme. So I don't break it down into 12 steps and think, have I done this, this and this and this? Yeah. It's become a way of life, really. It's what they say in the meetings, of course, is it's a bridge to normal living. Yeah. So it's not my life but it is the bridge that I need to keep to have a decent life. Totally. Yeah. And I think once you get that and you grasp that, it does make life a hell of a lot easier. It's made mine so much easier. It's what's worked for me. Yeah. You know, and, and I 
I am clean and sober today and I am living a decent life today and, and, and having fun and having a good life and I'm feeling really good at this point. So, you know, clearly what I'm doing for me is working at yeah. this point. Yeah. You're doing something right. Yeah. You. Which is always good. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you. If you've been affected by any of the topics in this episode, please reach out to a trusted contact or seek a professional for support. As you can tell by our conversation, Jill speaks her mind and is straight to the point. She's a professional and has a lot of empathy towards others. She's a strong woman and I'm grateful to know her. Join us next time where I have a chat with Tony Ormond. Tony is the North Wales Regional and Recovery Manager for the Kaleidoscope Project. We hope you join us for it.